Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 280. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Producer Megan on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. We got a great card, Cody. It feels like forever ago. I mean, I guess, you know, Usman versus Edwards wasn't that long ago, I suppose, but. We've had a stretch of, you know, a couple weeks off and then, like, kind of some trash cards mixed in. Arguably the card of the year uh, on tap for a Saturday afternoon from Abu Dhabi. So, pretty excited about it. How about you? Yeah, man, for sure. Listen, uh, Pat Mayo was like, hey, dude, I know you just had a kid. So, like, if you need to take an episode off, go for it. And today, man, I'm dead dog tired. But this is the kind of card you don't miss. This is the kind of card you can get excited for. For. So you're absolutely right. It's not only a pay-per-view offering. It's one of those solid pay-per-view offerings where pretty much everything on the main card could be its own fight night headline. And uh, I'm just really excited to jump into it. My plan was I just hired some, you know, maid to come live at the house from now on, take care of my baby. But Victor Henry had to screw that up. So here I am working stiff yet again, uh, trying to hit a good parlay this week to make things right. All right, uh, let's get right into the action that we got. Islam Makachev taking on Charles Oliveira. Makachev is a minus 200 favorite Oliveira can be had for plus 170. I'm going to let you take this one to start. Who do you see winning coming away with the title here, Cody? Yeah, so I'm obviously conflicted with this one. On one hand, you've got Islam Makachev, who both of us are very high up on. He's got that style that we like, the relentless grinding and the pressure, take your guy down, smash on him, and it's hard to replicate, or it's hard to think about who's going to stop that, right? It would have to be somebody with awesome jiu-jitsu, which Charles Oliveira does. It would have to be someone with awesome striking, maybe clip him standing, which Charles Oliveira does. I, I just don't know how much of it is narrative that Islam Makachev is the next Khabib. Khabib says he is. Uh, Javier Mendez says he's even better than Khabib. Everybody in that circle talks about how good he is, but you know, you'd have to take a lot of narrative there and just go based on who is the hype on, which is obviously Islam Makachev. If you go with not only just what you've seen the results from, it just seems like plus money and Charles Oliveira go hand in hand. Because, yeah, sure, he could lose. But the guy can win on any given day. He's kind of got all those skills. And for Islam Makachev, he's really going to have to mind his P's and Q's. He could knock out Charles Oliveira. Sure, he could. You know, Justin Poirier almost had him out. Justin Gaethje had him out. The key word there is the almost, right? you got to get this guy all the way out. Otherwise, he's got pretty solid cardio. He's got a massive killer instinct. He's got the kind of power, I think, to hurt Makachev standing. And I guess the real question mark is, we know that Makachev can take him down, but can he just hang out in his guard for a long period of time? Maybe. Charles at his worst, not a world-class grappler. You know, Anthony Pettis choked the guy out. Jim Miller submitted him with the knee bar. At his best, yeah, he's the UFC submissions leader for a reason, right? He's got a nasty submission game, mostly offensive. So part of me thinks that Charles Oliveira can go out there and score for the big plus money again, as he's done in his last two fights in cash for us. The other part of me just keeps going back to those Paul Felder-type fights where it's like, just get your head out of the choke and... Maybe you can smash him with some deadly ground and pound. But again, I think Makachev can do so. It seems like the under in this fight is the best way of attacking it. Uh, Makachev either breaks him down and causes Quitter Charles to reemerge, or Charles is going to catch him with something. For my money's worth, though, on a card that's full of good-looking favorites, I can't admit that Charles Oliveira has kind of got that underdog status once again and could pull it off. So ever so slightly, I think I'm going to go with uh, my fellow horseman, Charles Oliveira. Yep, I'm... 
I'm in agreement with you. I, I jumped on Charles Oliveira against uh, right after he finished Justin Gaethje. There was a book hanging a line. I grabbed plus 285. Obviously, that number's long gone. Um, I added a little bit more at like plus 175 on the weekend uh, at a book. We'll see if I add more to to all of this. Yeah, everyone, always, and you know me, I love Habib, always have loved Habib. I've never really been an Islam guy, and you you probably have noticed that over the years. I picked again. I mean, I bet Bobby Green. That was really dumb. Um, bet Bobby Green at like ten to one against him. It was a small little sprinkle, but I just maybe it's it's the Adriano Martins. I can never shake that knockout out of my my head. It's just like how reckless he was entering the pocket, hands down, chin up, and just ate that clean shot. Um, I think his grappling's brilliant, but it's like Charles Oliveira's exact style is so problematic for everything Islam wants to do. And it's like if these two guys are just standing, if if, if Islam decides that he doesn't want to, you know, to wrestle with them, it's not like Habib or it's like we had seen Habib put in some like, ser- like you know, the Iaquinta fight and some other fights where it's like he had to put in some time on his feet. Islam hasn't had to put in too much time just stand up striking. Um, Oliveira was going toe-to-toe with Gaethje on the feet. You know, he got clipped, he got dropped, but I think that whole quitter mentality about him, we talked about it, you know, in his last few fights. Like, that is yesterday's news. This guy's a totally different guy. And frankly, it's just like until somebody, maybe it's Islam Makachev, proves to me that they can just take Charles Charles down, hang out in his guard, and do that without getting into significant trouble slash getting submitted. Plus 170 on Oliveira seems good. I don't know if I would chase, like, the submission prop because, like, I could totally see him just knocking him out on the feet. Um, Islam, I think, is a few steps behind him in terms of the striking ability. It's Charles Oliveira pass as far as I'm concerned. I don't really understand jumping um, at, like, 66% win percentage Islam Makachev in this situation whatsoever. If I'm proven wrong on Saturday, I'm proven wrong. But, um, yeah, Charles Oliveira, very, very live dog that I am rooting for to win on Saturday afternoon. Moving to the bantamweight division, we've got Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw. Minus 175 Sterling, plus 150 for Killashaw. We got Cody. Okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to chase a whole lot of underdogs after this one, but I got a feeling TJ Dillashaw's again, he's live in this spot. Now, is Aljamain Sterling the superior fighter? I think so. I think Aljamain Sterling gets shit on a lot, but the guy's got skills absolutely everywhere. He is a good striker, lacks finishing power, sure, but nasty jab, very, very quick feet. I mean, he's evasive. Uh, his athleticism is just off the charts. His wrestling is very solid. Wrestled D3 collegiately, but in terms of results in the UFC, the guy can wrestle with almost everybody. Once he does get in those um, those situations, has an excellent back take. Once he takes the back, you're not going anywhere. I truthfully thought that Peter Yan would defeat him the first time. Al Jermaine Sterling came out the first two rounds. It's like, wow, where did this come from? Unfortunately, didn't have the cardio to keep that up. Started to get tired. Peter Yan's taken over. Peter Yan gets himself disqualified. Second time, the guy legitimately won the fight on his own merit. Was it boring? At times, sure. He would just backpack him and cling on, but great ground and pound in a lot of those spots. Got the takedowns when he wanted them. Took full advantage of the fact that Peter Yan's a slow starter. The guy's got a high ring IQ. He really is the complete package. Now, how can he beat TJ Dillashaw? Theoretically, anywhere he wants. You know, he's faster. He's uh, got that jab, stay to the outside, bait him in, use the smaller guy to kind of touch him up 
from the outside and then wrestle with him, lean on him. He's the older man. All those things probably hold true, but TJ got popped for being on the juice and there's nothing to suggest that he hasn't found a way around it. He looks in unreal shape right now. Keep in mind his last fight against Corey Sanhagen. That's him off a two-year-long layoff, right? That's him coming back to the Bantamweight division with ring rust, and he still shows a lot of good stuff there. It's debatable that maybe Corey Sanhagen could have won that fight or TJ could have won that fight. The bottom line is that he does have superior volume. I think he could go out there and win the striking exchange against uh, Aljamain Sterling, tire him as the fight goes. You've seen Aljo in his last two fights. He starts off very fast. Those three, four, and five, that's where he's a little bit hittable. That's where his takedowns aren't quite as good. TJ's got the wrestling advantage over him. On paper, anyways, he wrestled at a high level, higher level in college. And even in the UFC, you go back to some of his fights. When does he get taken down? Oh, John Lineker took him down. Well, yeah, but he had him down for 18 seconds of control time. Well, what about Dominic Cruz, man? Took him down four times. 33 seconds of control time with those four takedowns. It's one thing to take a man down. It's another thing to hold a man down. And no one's really done that to TJ. So if Aljo's wrestling is not good enough to get him down and hold him on consistently, and TJ's popping back up, I think it's going to be, you've seen TJ in a bunch of these five-round fights that are wars, that three, four, and five, the dude's EPO's kicking in, and he just <laughs> looks fresh as a daisy still. Whereas Aljo, like that that grind, he, sure, he can start off fast. It takes its toll on him. Sure, he can shoot those big explosive takedowns. It takes its toll on him. In a five-round fight, someone's going to capitalize in those later rounds, not necessarily knocking him out, but just don't be down three Going into the championship rounds, be down 2-1. Who cares? Win the last two, win one of the first three. You can seal the deal. So, again, I just kind of feel like for an underdog plus money, is not taking anything away for Aljamain Sterling. It's just like I think he's live in this spot to, to get upset. So uh, sign me up for some TJ Dillashaw. Yeah, I'm really struggling to get to Aljamain Sterling at minus 175. I don't. Th- it's not that I don't think he's talented. I don't think he... That I, it's not that I don't think that he's a, uh, you know, he's a warranted champion. That he's, you know, he's earned this and everything like that. He's he's very good, but this is the top level. This is the top of the top, and and his what he's very good at, you know, dragging it to the ground, uh, dominating, finding submissions, or at least holding back control. I'm just not so sure it'll work on T.J. Dillashaw. Yeah, you did mention like Cruz was able to take him down four times, but like outside of that, it's like people have really struggled historically to take him down. Dillashaw, obviously, he's like what thirty six years old, which is pretty long in the tooth for a bantamweight. But yeah, the Sanhagen fight, he he looked like he totally belonged at the top of this division still, off of the juice, all of that. Um, yeah, Sterling could come out at, like in the the yawn, the first yawn fight. And land just an absurd amount of volume early, and maybe squeeze one out that way. But yeah, we kind of saw exactly kind of how you were saying. It's just like you know, Yang got seven takedowns in that spot using you know uh, judo trips and that type of thing. Um, uh, with Dilla, like with Dillashaw, just like that Dillashaw historically rounds four and five were like his best. Um, which fight was it that he had like a 60, a 60 strike combination, like down the stretch, like in the last like round or something like that. Yeah. Like Hannah Brow just destroys him with combinations. It may have but been the Brow fight it, that it, I'm it's, thinking It's of. a lot of his fights. Same thing with Joe Soto. He drags him to the fifth and then takes him out. It's like 160 significant strikes landed. You watch in a couple spots, he can land 150 at his best. He can land over a hundred. I think you're right. And, and you make a point there, too, with, like, Peter Yang getting takedowns on Aljamain. Like, what if Dillashaw goes in and tries to offensively wrestle Aljamain for the first few rounds? What if he gets on top of him? Is Aljamain's guard so good? No, Aljamain's good on top. 
You haven't really seen Aljamain on his back all that much. But beyond that, if you make the first couple rounds a wrestling match, three, four, and five, he's going to be tired. If you just make it a hard grind those first two rounds, he'll be tired. Now, Aljamain's got excellent uh, cardio for sure. It's just, again, you got to go by and go back and look at recency. And recently, uh, I've been kind of fading down the stretch. So are you agreeing? Live underdog, Mr. Shaughnessy. Live underdog. I don't know if I'm going to bet it. Well, fair. We'll see where the line goes over the course of the week. I'm not, I just, it, the, the, it may be lined correctly, but yeah, for the purpose of the show, I'm picking Dillashaw. Don't know if I'm going to get there from a betting perspective. Uh, maybe, you know me, maybe, just maybe, I, I dabble, dip my toes in the water of like, you know, round four, round five Dillashaw props, maybe, but you know, it's it's early in the week. A lot of uh, a lot of shops haven't put out those types of props, so we'll see where I land as the week goes on. Uh, moving on down, we got Peter Yawn taking on Sugar Sean O'Malley minus two sixty five. Yawn O'Malley can be had for plus two twenty five. Lots of action coming in on O'Malley. Probably a combination of you know him being a Twitch star and. You know, having a global brand, having a podcast, but also, you know, that he's capable of throwing absurd amounts of volume. And there is that narrative out there. It's not even really a narrative. Narrative is an unfair way for me to classify it. It's a fact. It's like Peter Yan tends to start slow and he's like kind of calculating everything that his opponent is throwing at him. And this is a three-round fight. We've seen Peter Yan in five-round fights for the last couple of years now. It's just like, yeah, it's all well and good giving up the first round or even giving up the first two rounds if you can steal three, four, and five um, once you've got, like, your timing and everything. It's like in a 15-minute fight, you're down, you know, if you're giving up the first seven and a half minutes of the fight for calculating, I could see a, a situation where, you know, O'Malley – out volume volumes early and uh, and holds on and wins a very very close decision. I think Yawn, as the fight will goes on, is going to find range. Is going to figure out his best best path to victory in this fight. Um, uh, yeah, Bet three six five has <laughs> absurd little thing hanging out there that I took. Um, they've got Peter Yawn by submission round one, two, and three. And they've got each of them listed at 100 to 1. So you're getting Peter Yan by submission. He only has one submission on his record. He's like early on in his career. He's not a grappler by any stretch of the imagination. But if you bet all three of those equally, you're getting Yan by submission at like 30, almost 33 to 1. Um, I took a little bit of that. I think Peter Yan wins. I am a little bit nervous about him giving up like round one. Maybe it's a better better spot in terms of the money line to like add him live when you see him kind of figuring things out. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him like lean on some of his grappling. Like he took Aljamain Sterling down seven times. It's like I think if he takes Sean O'Malley down here, he can probably hold position on him. Um, Peter Yan is the pick minus two sixty five. I don't even think it's that bad. I just worry that he gives up round one, and you know my butt will be puckered if I if I get heavily invested. On Yawn minus two sixty five, but yeah, I think he's the better fa- uh, better fighter, and I think a lot of this O'Malley action coming in um, has more to do with like you know his brand, his stardom, than it does about the two competitors that'll throw down on Saturday afternoon. 
Yeah, listen, I agree. I think when a lot of people think of Peter Yawn, they still consider him the number one band and weight on the planet. Yeah, sure, he lost to Aljo, but the first one he got DQ'd and Aljo, you know, won an award. What an acting job. And the second one, yeah, split decision. Aljo just clung on to him. So in a lot of people's minds, it's like, yeah, the guy's still absolutely elite, capable of beating everybody. When you think about the best guys in the division, uh, Sean O'Malley's name doesn't really pop off at the top of your head. And listen, it's a very, very talented division full of some of the best guys in it. But, you know, your your Corey Sanhagen's, your Aljamain Sterling's, your even guys internationally. Look, looking at the list, Marav Devashvili versus Peter Yan. No, uh, sorry, against uh, Sean O'Malley. No one's got him. Sterling, Yan, Sanhagen, Dillashaw, Cheeto Vera already beat him up. Rob Font probably beats him up pretty soundly. Song Yudong beats him up. Ricky Sa- Simone big beats him up. Said Nurmagomedov probably beats him up. Adrian Yanez might beat him up. These guys are like top 10 guys in the world. So props to Sean O'Malley for stepping up to the plate and jumping from like rank number 11th to taking on what essentially could be the world champion. But yeah, this money line just looks too good to be true, right? I mean, this is a giant step up in competition that nobody thought he was going to do. Everyone keeps saying the UFC is protecting him and not throwing him in these spots. But the UFC's like, dog, we're paying this guy a lot of money now because he's renegotiated up his contract. He has a brand. He has a name. He needs to go out and fight legitimate guys so he gets Jan. I would expect him to be a three-to-one underdog. But yeah, maybe because of his popularity, he's hanging out at a pretty reasonable rate. Uh, looking at the fight itself, exact same things that you're seeing. Is that Peter Yan tends to take the first round off. He's not above going out there and landing 10, 14, 10 to 15 significant strikes range and kind of losing that first round. In a five-round fight, he can afford to do that because he knows he's got five rounds. In a three-round fight, the guy's on a dummy. I don't think he's going to go out there and say, sure, I'm going to give away the first round. And even if he does give up the first round. It's not as if Sean O'Malley is necessarily the biggest starter. You saw in his last fight with Pedro Munoz, he barely got going himself until the second round, right? Kind of getting struck in spots, giving up those leg kicks. <clears throat> so I think if Jan just goes out there with a little more sense of urgency in the first, he probably wins every single round in this fight. If he decides to take the first round off, well, then he wins the second and the third round of this fight. In both scenarios, he wins this fight. Uh, you made an excellent point about Jan's wrestling. Jan's an underrated wrestler, and I think that he could very easily take this fight to the ground. When you look at Sean O'Malley, where his biggest weaknesses have been, guys that can dog walk him, kind of like Chris Muntino, who was a punching bag, mm-hmm. but again, went three hard rounds with him and backed him up the entire time, caused him to fight off his back foot, which I think Jan's capable of doing at an elite level, and then, of course, taking him down. Marlon Vera takes him down. He can say that he was injured, this and that and the other, but... I think the ability to constantly take him down is going to compromise him, drop his head with elbows off the canvas, work him with that ground and pound. Again, Peter Yon, capable of doing all those things. The UFC's done an excellent job with turning Sean O'Malley into a star. Because if you look at his record, man, on the Contender Series, he fought Alfred Kazakian, striker. In his debut, Terry on Ware, pure boxer. Then Andre Sugmantath, kickboxer. Then he got uh, Jose Alberto Quinones. The guy's got jiu-jitsu tattooed on his chest, but straight up, you've seen him fight. He's almost all kickboxing, right? Eddie Wineland, way over the hill, boxer. Thomas Almeida, very one-dimensional striker. Chris Moutinho, punching bag. Rolian Pava, striker. Pedro Munoz, BJJ black belt, just chooses never to use it. He's always trying to go out there and strike with guys. So Jan fits the same description as everybody else. Oh, well, he's a striker. Yeah, but he's got a very, very underrated grappling game. And if he goes ahead and takes down Sean O'Malley, he's going to have tons of success there. I don't see a whole lot of world... Uh, worlds that he loses this fight unless he cleanly takes off the first two rounds and i just don't think him and his coaching staff are going to let that happen so i mean i gotta go with peter yon to get the job done does he win by decision or does he win inside the distance i'm leaning towards inside the distance the kind of pressure and pace this guy puts on 
is unlike anything that Sean O'Malley's seen. If Sean O'Malley's little chicken legs don't hold up, Peter Young's going to take advantage and slam them. He's going to slam them with ground and pound. He's going to just land clean shot standing. He does have a four-inch height disadvantage and a five-inch reach disadvantage. Mm -hmm. But gathering that data, he's just figuring it out, figuring out the timing, and then he's going to start putting the pressure on. So uh, kudos to Sean O'Malley for stepping up to the plate. I mean, the guy's got balls accepted in this fight, and I think he's proven a lot of people wrong about how protected he is in this and that. But Peter Yanni's on a different level, and I just I don't see him losing to a guy that's like a fringe top t- 10 contender at this point. So sign me up for uh, the Russian. Yeah, Peter Yan on prize picks, the uh, the total for takedowns is two. I don't mind that. Um, don't love it. If it was one and a half, I'd be a lot more inclined to take it. The problem with with taking like his takedowns there is just like there's no guarantee that he's not just going to like go strike for strike with him and then and like he could win a striking affair against literally anybody like that is not the least or the path of least resistance for Peter Yan, but um but yeah it's a it's a path that he could totally just win a stand up a 15 minute stand up affair never even attempt to take down Something tells me he is going to try to take it down, so I may work it into some of my prize picks uh, uh, selections this week. But yeah, there's plenty of other prize picks that I like uh, over the course of uh, more on the bottom of the card, some of the more exploitable uh, spots down there. So don't worry, we'll we'll get you on that. They had actually uh, somebody reached out to me, and I have a greasy theory that maybe that they work for prize picks, but uh, they. Uh, they said that they were a big time fan of the show. And they said, What could I match with? Um, they had like a Steph Curry uh, prop last night where Steph Curry, if he got over uh, one point or over half a point, so he scores a point and, uh, and, and that leg wins. And I told them Aljamain Sterling, his t- uh, takedowns was listed at two and a half. I'm like, That's way too much. I'm like, He could get there, but like, I, I thought. You know, TJ's only ever been taken down that many times once, and it was by Dominic Cruz, who has some of the best footwork in MMA, and probably tricked him and was able to get him down to the ground in that way. Sterling could get there. But yeah, it moved from two and a half to two. Still don't mind it, but like two and a half, those extra hooks are, are obviously pretty key. Uh, but yeah, Sterling under, under two takedowns, don't mind it either. TJ Dillashaw is very, very tough to take down. And that's where I think me and you were kind of on the same page about is like if Sterling's not able to get this fight to the mat, like on the feet, it's a hell of a lot more of 50-50 with all of the power and everything like that on Dillashaw's side. Let's move on to the fourth fight, though. We've got uh, Matus Gamrot taking on Benil Dariush. Gamrot, a minus 190 favorite. Dariush can be had for plus 165. Cody, take it away. Yeah, Benil Darius, very high ring IQ, one of the best guys in that department, solving a way how to win. He's got excellent jiu-jitsu. Of course, he's got solid striking. And if he can't use his jiu-jitsu to win, you know, he'll bite down on his mouthpiece and swang and bang with you. But uh, in this case, it seems like recently he's been winning his fights with his takedowns. He needs to land those takedowns. His last fight with Tony Ferguson, he only landed 23 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. But it was the three takedowns, the positional dominance. Well, Tony's shown... He gives up a lot, whole lot of takedowns, and he's not allowed to. He doesn't have a, a great ability to scramble back up to his feet. So I, I feel like he was able to exploit that one issue with Tony Ferguson. Same thing in his fight before that, Carlos Diego Ferreira. He got those five takedowns. You go back to a whole lot of his fights, and it's just multiple takedowns, not a whole lot of ground and pound, not a whole lot of significant strikes landed. Stand up wise, he's got a nasty body kick. He'll throw a decent little combination, but it's always with the end 
goal of setting up that takedown. Matus Gamrot, I don't know what version I'm going to get, but if I get the last version of him, not the version we got two fights back, I think he's sitting in a really good spot here. Armin Sarukian is a fantastic grappler, a fantastic wrestler in his own right. He went one for eight in takedowns against Gamrot, who overall shows a 90% takedown defense in the UFC. He's a Polish wrestling standout. He's a BJJ black belt, a guy that competed at a very high level. He's a problem taking down. He's a problem holding down. If Benil Darius is capable of doing that, he's still going to have a lot of success striking with him standing. My worry is the volume. Benil doesn't have these performances where he goes out and throws up a, a, a ton of, of strikes. It's mostly just a couple at a time. Whereas Gamrot, at his worst, a little reluctant to let his hands go. At his best, I think he's got a whole lot of forward pressure moving you back. He would have lost the Sarukin fight if it was a three-rounder. Because it was a five-rounder, he kind of got bailed out. He needs to go pedal to the metal right off the get-go versus Benil Dariush, who's capable of stealing a few rounds. But I do feel like that grind, that pressure, Gamrot's getting a lot more comfortable, and you should see a much better version of him. Again, when I say two fights back with Benil Dariush, on paper, looks good. He submitted Carlos Diego Ferreira. Sorry, he uh, he put a beating on Carlos Diego Ferreira, and it was a uh, second round. It was like a rib injury TKO, but... He looked tired up until he got the stoppage. It didn't look like his cardio was holding up. He looked super sluggish. And then one fight later versus Tsurukian, he goes five hard rounds where four and five are by far his best rounds of the fight. Part of me thinks that, you know, he's got his cardio resolved. He's a lot more comfortable in the UFC. He's positioning himself for these big fights. And uh, he should be able to go out there and just put on a clean performance, stuff the takedowns, back him up, pressure him, land some strikes, and edge up Neil Dariush. I do think Dariush is a live underdog. I think Gamrod at times doesn't fight to the best of his abilities. You, of course, cash that notorious ticket, uh, Gurem Kudalitz. On the same thing, Kudalitz is a fast starter, and Gamrod's a bit of a slow starter. So similar situation that we're talking about Peter Yan. You got a guy here that's incredibly skillful, but tends to get off to slow starts. This is a three-round fight, but Neil could catch him sleeping. But I feel like Gamrod and them will have the, the right plan, get the job done. So I don't have him super high this week, because I think Benil Dariush could uh, be an apple pie shitter kind of guy coming in here to spoil the day, but the pick is Gamrod. I'm going to ride with him. Yeah, this one this one I've been kind of torn on all week, to be perfectly honest. It really comes down to the wrestling. I think if it's on the feet, I've seen more from Gamrod to lead me to believe that, one, uh, we've all kind of forgotten about Benil Dariush's chin. Like, it, it, it was a while ago, but, like, there was a period of time there where everyone thought, ah, oh, just another busted prospect. This guy can't take punishment. You know, the Alexander Hernandez fight, the Edson Barbosa fight. And you've been clipped Even in. Even the Drakkar close yeah. fight, man. I mean, close got no punching power, and he has him on skates, and then he gets knocked out. So, like, that Gamrot fight against Holtzman kind of leads me to believe that there could be a little bit of pop back there, which would lead me towards picking Matus Gamrot uh, as a favorite in this spot. I feel like wrestling is probably going to get negated. We're in a relatively big cage. So I don't know if uh, Dariush is going to be able to track him down, take him down. Speed should lie on the on the side of Gamrot. And I think his grappling's good enough that if he does get taken down, at least he can hang out there and stay out of trouble. I think Gamrot's a rightful favorite. I don't know if I'm going to get to it on the betting window either, but... Um, yeah, Gamrot's the pick for me as well. Moving on down, we got Manon Fioro taking on Caitlin Chukagian. Minus 210 Fioro, plus 180 for Caitlin Chukagian. Interesting fight again. I mean, I think Manon Fioro is the best woman in the division not named 
Valentina Shevchenko. Heading into that Maya fight, I remember on Twitter that week, there was like, you know, everyone thought that they had seen something at the weigh-ins that Firo had injured her leg or injured her knee. Whether that was true or not, she ended up showing up and put on a pretty solid performance against Jennifer Maya. Um, she's been rolling through everybody in this division with relative ease, like winning very, very convincing decisions. And frankly, Shukagian last time out against Ramanda Rebus, that was not a convincing decision. She uh, A lot of people scored it for Rebus. Rebus got three takedowns. I think Fioro's got enough of a complete game plan that, one, she can hang out at range. She's super, super quick in and out of the pocket. She lands the more um, more powerful strikes of the two of them. I think maybe on top of that, I think she could probably mix in the odd takedown. She won't hold her down for very long, but to steal rounds, secure rounds, you know. Pat Mayo's not in the room. Pat would probably just say blind blind uh, take the underdog in this spot. But I think Fioro's the real deal. Um, not hopping off of her here. Caitlin Chikagian has been in the top five of this division for, you know, since its inception. But I don't know. The style of, like, she throws a lot of volume, not much with any impact, and tons of hiyas and kyas and... You know, a bunch of other utterances that sometimes they sway the judges, but Manon Fioro's got her own kiyas cooking on her side. So I think Fioro's just the better fighter, literally in every aspect of the game at this point. And looking forward to seeing her taking on Shevchenko because I think that'll be like the most interesting fight in the division in quite a quite a bit. I mean, obviously Shevchenko's last fight out was not supposed to be so interesting it turned out to be interesting but I think Fioro is actually like the legit problem in the division that could could cause problems for Valentina Shevchenko so I think she rolls here what about you yeah likely rolls but I can't say I got a whole lot of confidence in this one for no other reason then love Fioro don't get me wrong but what's what's the game plan likely she's gonna go out there and she's gonna try to strike with her because you know she's really agile she's mobile likes to stay to the outside likes to put up volume it's like are you describing Firo? Are you describing Kaylin Chukagian? Because it's going to be a tit-for-tat 15-minute striking battle where both of them land in the neighborhood of 80, 90 significant strikes. Could be a split decision. Could be hotly contested. Again, it's going to come down to who the judges are. The judges are watching this cage side. One of them is making a lot of action noises. You know, sounds like a tennis match. Kya, kya, kya. Sometimes that resonates with you. There's been a lot of times where it's like, ah, has this person won the fight? But that noise kind of allows you to... Get the benefit of the doubt. Holly Holm, former world champion, again, very active with that. Firo has that karate-type style where she's very mobile, stay to the outside, and it's a lot of touch and go. She's got that big head kick. She's got some big singular strikes, but for the most part, it's touch and go, right? It's outpointing your opponent. Kaylin Chukagian is kind of masterful in that area. Kaylin Chukagian's also got a, a big experience advantage, I would say. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I'm pretty sold on Firo. Physically, she's extremely strong. Caitlin Chikagin's had a chance to fight all the best girls in the division and show what she's got. Fioro, meanwhile, she comes into the UFC with a handful of pro MMA fights and since then has more or less fought in some pretty high-level competitors and looked clean doing it. You see her get a little confident, a little more confident every time out, a little more comfortable every time out, and I feel like they're trying to build her towards that Shevchenko title fight. Initially, they're talking, you know, Mino Fioro maybe against Jessica Andrade, and she's game for that. Caitlin Jukagin's come in as a replacement opponent, and then they move the fight all the way to Abu Dhabi. So 
I think that Fiorel could get the job done. Again, though, if we're talking about a 15-minute fight, which this is likely going 15, we're looking at a purely stand-up battle, which this could very well be a purely stand-up battle. They're both strikers. They're both going to put up big volume. They're both going to be competitive. It's one of those fights that you lock in that you really like Fiorel, and it ends up being a split decision. Hopefully, you win that split decision. But a lot of the times it goes the other way and you're not happy about it. But what can you do? You picked on a closely contested fight. Angela Hill's in these all the time, right? Could she win? Yeah. If she does win, it's by the skin of your teeth. And if she loses, by the skin of your teeth. If you can get her for plus money, bet Angela Hill all day. If Angela Hill's the favorite, do not go anywhere close to her. Kaylin Chikagin to me feels the same boat. I wouldn't bet her as a favorite, no way. But in this plus money spot where I think it's going to be a relatively competitive 15-minute striking affair, I think she could pull it off. But uh, again, I got two dogs at the top of the card. I'm picking a whole lot of favorites from this point out. And unfortunately, Mano Fioro ended up being another one of those favorites. All right, we got Sean Brady taking on Bilal. Remember the name, Muhammad? Sean Brady is a minus 130 favorite. Muhammad can be had for plus 110. Cody, who do you got? So I will actually take another flyer here on Bilal Muhammad as the underdog. I think Bilal Muhammad's style is not exactly the most, like, fan-appeasing. And so for that matter, there's this bias of just, like, people don't like him, right? But, mm. man, he is highly effective with what he does. His pace is, like, second to none. The guy's got excellent cardio. Uh, striking was his forte. Not a power puncher, but someone that's just going to continuously put pressure on you. You see him getting a lot cleaner in there. His technique obviously getting uh, much improved. But it's that ability to use his wrestling. That kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't realize he was such an accomplished grappler. Until, say, well, I mean, a bunch of them. Damian Maya took him down, wasn't able to do anything with it. He took down Stephen Thompson seven times at will. He took down Vincente Luque five times at will. The last Luque fight was a five-round fight. So, I mean, he showed pace the whole way through. He's got a solid, solid chin on him. So, he's one of those guys that's just going to continuously pose problems. Sean Brady, meanwhile, very, very talented guy, seems to prefer to get it done with his own wrestling. I don't see him taking down Bilal Muhammad. Now, his striking is actually better than Bilal Muhammad's. Here's the difference. Bilal's one of these guys that's geared up to go a hard 15 on the feet if need be. Sean Brady, it seems like he's got some fancy strikes up his sleeve, but always relies on trying to get the fight down eventually. Now, he's been able to outgrapple a lot of these younger opponents he's been taking on. Michael Chiesa, that's a big feather in his cap win. But Michael Chiesa doesn't have that same physicality that Bilal does. And, and if he does, it's early. You know, Chiesa is dangerous early. The longer that you can prolong him, he tends to tire. Bilal's going to be in your face the entire time. Now, I don't know why Khabib Nurmagomedov decided to drop everything he was doing and help Bilal Muhammad prepare for this fight. But he's been getting some real good work with Khabib. And a lot of that, to me, is he'll be ready for whatever Brady shoots at him with his own offensive wrestling. And he's going to be ready to grind on Brady with his own pace tenacity slow him down make this a greasy fight but Bilal Muhammad's been been thriving in those kind of situations so I am actually going to pick him at plus 115 I'm a huge Sean Brady fan but again there's going to be a few underdogs that are going to pop up here and there and I think Bilal Muhammad has got an excellent chance of getting it done and I don't want to talk about the narrative of they're in Abu Dhabi and his name is Bilal Muhammad and he's rocking a beard and Khabib's with him but if it's a close decision, we're getting it. So, yeah, it can't hurt, right? Uh, they don't like tattoos in Abu Dhabi, and Sean Brady is one walking tattoo. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Sign me up for Bilal Muhammad to grease out the close decision. I like that. Hey, that that's a greasy angle. Fade tattoos on this. Sean O'Malley, the walking dead, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm I'm with you, man. And I haven't, I haven't bet it yet, but, like, Bilal's Bilal's just so smart in there. He just doesn't really make any serious mistakes. He finds, you know, 
He finds his game plan and he sticks to it from the beginning. And he's cost me a bunch of money in the process of doing that. Like Vicente Luque, I thought Vicente Luque was going to cause problems for him in the grappling department when he got down there. And no, just like as soon as he was flat on his back, he had nothing for Bilal. Bilal was just able to con- continuously keep going to that and, uh, you know, lay on top of him, throw enough strikes to not get stood up. Um, and on the feet, he's, you know, outside of getting knocked out um, in the first time that he fought against Vicente Luque. And then obviously the Leon Edwards, you know, eye poke. That fight was not going well for him. Yeah. But like, that's that's the 170 pound champion. I mean, I just, this really comes down to a numbers thing for me. And it's just like Sean Brady really, you know, he really hasn't been tested against the top of the division yet. And Bilal's been hanging out in this, you know, top 10 for quite a bit of time now and he's handled himself quite well so if you put a plus 110 next to his name i'm gonna be uh remembering that name i suppose you could say uh yeah Bilal muhammad is the pick for both of us we move on down the car we got kyle boralio taking on mahmoud muradov minus 190 boralio mahmoud muradov can be had for plus 165 Watching uh, watching a bunch of Kyo's fights back, um, he's so like it's like watching paint dry. Um, he's so boring in in some of these spots, but he's so effective at what he does. Um, and the Armin Petrosian fight is just like, you know, he only throws strikes like he'll throw like the odd flying knee, but it's just like they're mostly singular strikes with like lots of feints mixed in, and it's all about getting down to your hips. Um, and if he's not able to get like a double leg takedown on you, it's about sliding to the back. And once he gets back, once he gets that backpack, he is so good down there. You can tell he's put in so many, so many years training. There's like pictures of him and Damian Maya back to like 2015. Um, this kid's slick on the ground. And you got Muradov, who, uh, you know, was fi- signed by like Floyd's or Floyd's company or whatever. Decent striker, but we saw against Gerald Mearshart. It's just like he he hurt Gerald a couple times, but it's like uh, about five minutes of like a high intensity fight like that, and he was falling to bits. Round two, well, once he gets taken down, he basically just like insta taps when uh, when Gerald was able to take him down to the mat. Kyle, from what I've seen, when he takes shots, he takes them well. The re- the entries to the takedowns look pretty solid, and um, yeah, his positional grappling on the mat is super, super good. Um, the Gadzi versus Kayo fight, too. It's like, I was pretty impressed that he was able to do all of this to a guy with a Habeard. Like, that is no easy task. And Kayo passed it with flying colors. Like, is it boring? Yes. Is it effective? 100%. Um, Kayo by sub is plus 400. Plus 460 is the highest out there. I think uh, Mahmoud Muradov could have some success early in the striking affair, but like Kayo's going to get him to the mat. Kayo's going to find his way to the back, and I think Kayo's going to lock in a rear naked choke and finish this fight off probably in round two, maybe round three. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, I got to agree. I really like Kayo this week, and I think that the price is right on a minus 200. I feel like people were going to jump on the bandwagon eventually, but it's like you said, he doesn't really have a particularly fan-friendly style, and so I think people just don't utterly care about him. But I've been high on on him for a little while. He came on the Contender Series. He fought our Canadian boy, Aaron Jeffries, and I bet him that night on the basis of 
he's got really high ring IQ. He's known as like the fighting nerd. Comes in with the glass. I haven't seen a whole lot of nerds with neck tats, by the way. The guy's pretty badass, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, he's he's the smart thinking f- style fighter. And against Jeffries, I mean, he he really showed a complete package. He's in really good shape. He has good striking. He has good grappling. He's just not one of those guys that's going to exert himself and put him into bad positions. Jeffries gone on to quite a good career since then in Bellator. Kyle, meanwhile, continues to get stronger and stronger. He took a short notice fight against Jesse Murray on the contender series again because Dana didn't give him the contract after Jeffries, who's up to 205 on a week's notice, smashes this, this putts of a 205er, by the way, but he jumped up 20 pounds on a week's notice. The guy's a badass. Now, both of his wins in the UFC haven't been walkovers. You talked about Omar Godziev, you know, a, a tough a tough Russian-style fighter. And then with Armin Petrosian, Petrosian had just fought RoboCop and had given him everything he could handle. He had been taken down quite a few times. He'd given up his back. But, I mean, he showed against Gregory Rodriguez, holding him down and his scrambling abilities, solid. This guy's a solid prospect. None of that was on display with Kyle. Kyle got him down exactly when he wanted, and this guy wasn't going anywhere. He's one of these guys that just melts like cheese on top of you. There's no space. There's nowhere to go. Again, he's doing enough to not get stood up, but if it ain't getting stood up, you ain't getting up on your own merit. Those are all going to be massive problems. Macman Muradov, I'm going to kind of classify him into the uh, maybe like the fraud ranks, I think. Coming into the UFC, he was known for two things. You nailed one of them. He was uh, signed by Floyd Mayweather's company. He's the only MMA fighter that was on the roster. Thing number two, he was like a Czech webcam boy. He used to beat his meat for money on webcam. So they like told him, you can't be in this country no more. He's like banned from like Uzbekistan and, and, and Czechoslovakia. Comes over here, might as well be an MMA fighter. Thing is, they matched him up cheap, and he never really like sword you know the alicia di Chirico fight low volume yeah he can strike but you know it was kind of a not a great performance him versus trevor smith he got the third round knockout he landed some okay shots in that fight but trevor smith's not really somebody you should be hanging around with into the third round this fight with andrew sanders is not great it's beyond it's beyond that right he pulls out of this fight with kevin holland due to an injury that gerald mearshart fight he wins the first round he looked good in the first round then he completely gassed out after mm-hmm. that and then since he lost to Mirshard, gas is hard, dude. I had Murdov that night. After the first round, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But you can see his body language around the three or four minute mark. He's tired, right? 32 years old, not old, but I don't know that he's a mega prospect that's suddenly going to get a whole lot better. His best days were beating up, you know, regional talent on the regional scene. That Mirshard fight to me was the eye opener. Push a pace on this guy and take him down. Mirshard scored three takedowns. I classed him handedly on the ground, tired him out, subbed him. Then in two subsequent performances, he got booked against Misha Cherkinov, pulled out due to a hand injury. They book him seven months later against Abus Magomedov. He pulls out of that fight as well. Now they've booked him now two months after that. I think he's damaged goods, man. He's not someone that fights a whole lot. He doesn't have a regular schedule. He showed in his last fight against Mirchard's cardio is not all that good. And I think part of that is dealing with injuries, being on the sideline, having that ring rust, having to jump back in there. It's all problematic. So with K.O. Barahau, yeah, he's going to replicate exactly what Mearshart did. He's stronger than Mearshart. He's got better takedowns than Mearshart. And, I mean, again, he's got a, a top-class, world, uh, world-class world jiu-jitsu game. So, I think he's just going to employ it all very effectively. Is he going to win inside the distance? Is he going to win by decision? I think by decision. Submission's live, as you mentioned. The straight up for minus 200, I'm not even going to get greedy on it. I'll just pick him to get the job done, and that's what I think he's going to do. We've got Nikita Krylov taking on Vulcan Uzdemir. Krylov, a minus 170 favorite. Uzdemir can be had for plus 145. Oh, sorry. I forgot to mention on the previous one that uh, uh, Kyle, if you like decision, you may not like it, but Kyle's fantasy points are at uh, 80.5. Just based on 
takedowns are like six points and submission attempts are like five points. It's just like if this guy's going to take him down, try to submit him. If he gets a finish in the first two rounds, you're going to win that over um, 80.5 fantasy score. But even if he gets like, you know, four or five takedowns, mixes in some submissions and a little gets a decision win, like he could probably still get there. So I think I looked at some of the other props, you know, the takedowns was a little bit tricky because like what if he takes him down immediately and submits him? You, you won't really get there. Significant strikes wasn't so sure. I think the fantasy score for Kyle Barallo was my favorite way to approach that. Uh, didn't want to pass by that without mentioning it, but uh, move on to the next one. Yeah, we got uh, Krylov taking on Uzdemir, minus 170 Krylov, plus 145 Uzdemir. Uh, prize picks, I do have um, Krylov less than 1.5 takedowns. He has shown flashes. Like, let's not forget that, like, you know, this guy has shown flashes of some wrestling ability. But, like, this guy is listed as a Kyokushin karate fighter. Um, you know, he's taking down Johnny Walker, which, I mean, Johnny Walker's worked on his ground game. And the ground game's come along to a bit of, to a, bit of a degree um, that he's not so bad off of his back anymore. But um, go through Vulcan, you know, Vulcan's been putting in time in Florida there for so many years with a great room of wrestlers. There's only one man who has cleared 1.5 takedowns on Vulcan Uzdemir. Cody, you know who that is? Cormier? Daniel Cormier got two takedowns on him. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And I mean, Vulcan, his last time out, what do you think was his entire game plan against Paul Craig is... Don't get taken down. So the guy's been putting in tons of work on his takedown defense. Um, he can be a little bit low volume on the feet, which makes me a little bit worried from a betting perspective. I'm going to lean towards Vul Vulcan in this spot. I think both of them are relatively clunky, clunky strikers. Uh, Nikita, you know, against Gustafson. Gustafson was such damaged goods there that I think if anybody just came in swinging like he did, they were going to put Alexander Gustafson away on that night. A little bit less easy to do that against a guy like Vulcan, who slows down the pace, pace of the fight, makes you fight his fight. And, um, and yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult to take down. So if the Krylov's game plan is to do that, good luck, buddy. Um, I'm leaning towards Vulcan as an underdog in this spot. Uh, what's your take here, Cody? I am going to go with the favorite Nikita Krylov for no other fact than like Vulcan looked awful his last fight against I thought he looked Craig. great against Paul Craig. No, I thought he looked abysmal. He did man. everything Maybe he, he had to the do. Takedowns. I don't know. Paul Craig's one of these guys that his fights end in the first round. He either flops who's back and submits you or you punch him in the face and he topples over. That's it, bro. There's no other way. In what world is somebody going to win a decision against Paul Craig? That world doesn't exist. He went and Vulcan goes in there and fights him for 15 minutes. And, uh, again, I don't even think he looked all that good. Like, Paul Craig doesn't have any striking. He couldn't get him down. Say it again. I said, oh, for 15. That's, that was Paul but Craig's Paul, that's wrestling. Paul Craig. Paul Craig can't wrestle. I'm telling you, bro. He's a good jiu-jitsu guy. He's got no takedowns. I think Nikita's wrestling's back. pretty like, overrated, too. Yeah, well, no, but I don't think Nikita Krylov needs his, his wrestling to get the job done. He does I, right. I would think he's – yeah, I would think he just strikes with him. Volkan okay, Uzdemir is tough, but, again – this is not taking anything away from him. He should have lost that Alexander Rakic fight, and that 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 would have made him two and six in his last eight fights. So yeah, Cormier beat him. 
and then Anthony Smith embarrassed him, and then Dominic Reyes beat him in a stinker of a fight. Rakic should have beat him, outstruck him, took him down. I don't know how Alexander Rakic didn't win that fight. Yuri Petroska knocks him out. Magman Ankalaev knocks him down, and then he gets the Paul Craig fight. So Petroska knocked him out, and he looked good in that fight till he got knocked out. And then the knockdown from Ankalaev, part of me is like, I'm worrying about his chin. Can he still take that punch? I mean, he's a stand-up guy. He's known for his big power. The guy's called no time. You look at those early fights in the UFC, he knocks guys out in 30 seconds. But now he can't knock out Paul Craig over the course of 15 minutes? What's up with that? He's not sitting down on his punches as much. I think he's getting a little bit older. I think he's not quite as interested as he used to be. And the thing with Krylov is Krylov's got a terrible gas tank. But it's not like Volkan's got a great gas tank of his own. So I'm a little bit thinking if Krylov goes out there, he's going to be the faster man. He can beat you to the punch. I didn't expect him to bum rush Alexander Gustafson his last time out. But, I mean, he just has that instinct. I can get a quick jump on this guy. Once he has you hurt, he's not going to let up. He could take a similar approach here. Get that quick jump on Volkan, hurt him with something, and then just never lay up. If he goes for that killer, be killed approach, I think he could knock him out. He could also die trying, right? Tire himself out, maybe get hit with something. But <clears throat> with Krylov, yeah, I mean, he shows glimmers of promise. He shows some some bad spots. But again, this is a talented guy that's still trying to put it all together. With Vulcan, I truly believe his best days, he was a title challenger. He was a top five guy. He's not that guy anymore. He's slowly skidding down the rankings. And I just feel like Krylov's going to catch him with something. So I will go with Nikita Krylov, but yeah, 205ers, heavy hitting guys. Krylov is one of these guys that tends to shit an apple pie or two in his day. You know, could you be a whole lot confident in? Eh, maybe not, but but I got a feeling that Nikita Krylov is just a better fighter at this point. He makes really bad decisions, Cody. Terrible decisions, but again, terrible decisions against top level guys. Against Paul Craig, the guy Paul Craig, well, who you just said that Volkan looked horrible. Volkan looked horrible, outstriking him two to one, stopping 15 takedowns. But now Paul Craig is all of a sudden some some brilliant fighter who submitted uh, Krylov in round one. When Krylov decided, okay, how can I lose this fight? Okay, if I just go down into Paul Craig's guard and get submitted, this is the only way I lose this fight because I already have this guy hurt. That was like... Never lay the wood. Never lay chalk on Krylov after that stunt that he pulled against Paul Craig. That's all I'm saying. Well, all I'm saying is if most people's opinions, if you're like, who's the best light heavyweight in the world right now? John Jones is not a light heavyweight anymore. Keep that in mind. It's like, who's the best light heavyweight in the world right now? They'd be like, dude, Magomed Ankalaev is the best light heavyweight. It's like, dude, Paul Craig choked that guy out. And who's like the next best guy? It's like, well, maybe Yuri, maybe Glover. Or maybe it's Jamal Hill, man. That guy's legit. It's like, yeah, well, he did the same thing. He went right into Paul Craig's guard. Nikita Krylov. Nikita Krylov, he had him knocked out, bro. Paul Craig was out. And then he made the mistake of hanging in his car. Don't and go to Vol his car. You can never even let it come like a to that. bag. Air goes in it. Don't come back out. I'm, I'm taking the smarter fighter at plus 145. The guy who is going to mind his P's and Q's, put himself in the best position to come out victorious. Am I actually going to put money on Volkan Uzdemir? That, uh, that remains to be seen. But it sounds like we're split on this one. You like Krylov. I like Uzdemir. Do we have like a... Do we want to do a bet on this or something? We haven't done a bet on anything. Yeah, all right. Let's get a shoey bet going for this. Since, uh, uh, since Aspen Lad I'll went running. I'll take Krylov. <laughs> Aspen Lad, yeah, yeah. You can have Krylov. I'll take the, uh, I'll take the dog. Uh, Volcan that keeps me interested without uh, without financially you know 
Yeah, Vulcan can be a little bit low volume. The chin isn't exactly perfect. Like this is not some sort of like lock of the century by any stretch of the imagination. Don't even know if I'm gonna bet it, but yeah. Underdog for me, Cody likes Krylov, and there is a Shuey on the line for next week's episode. Moving on down, we got Zubi Tahugov taking on Lucas Almeida. Tahugov is a minus 160 favorite. Almeida can be had for plus 140. Not going to lie, Cody, this is the one fight I haven't got around to tape on yet. So I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'll make my selection. But uh, did a pretty good job of, like, you know, my dog's being less of an idiot recently. So it's like I'm finding windows of time to start getting into tape again. Um but yeah, Tahugov Almeida. I really got to watch uh, Lucas Almeida's fight versus Mike Trezano um, before I really co- uh, consolidate a pick here. Uh, do you have do you have a hard lean in this one or what? Yeah, well, so Lucas Almeida, the guy coming on the contender series, just like bro, this guy just throws down. Like, he's got some pretty big power, but uh, you know, is he is he is he well rounded? Yeah, maybe not. But his fight with that Daniel Zeluber, who was supposed to be a decent prospect, turned out to be a bust. Uh, who loses to Trey Ogden in a striking match? Anyways, it's like, okay, you, you go go out there. He throws up good volume. He shows some some big things, but he sits down on way too many of his punches, tires himself out, and then Zell Huber comes down to stretch. You can see that there was something there. You can see that this guy could probably hang out in the UFC. However, yeah, he's a little bit reckless. He needs a ways to go. He won one fight in the regional scene for Jungle Fight. They bring him back versus Mike Trezano. He looked awesome, dude. The thing with Trezano is that he tends to walk forward most of the time. Most of the, of the opponents that he faces will not push him back. And yet against Lucas Almeida, Lucas Almeida was the one that was just the aggressor the entire time. He dropped Trezano twice. He doubled him up on the punching stats, which is very hard to do with Mike Trezano. And he honestly, he made Trezano just not look at all like he belonged in the UFC, which is something that Trezano is a tough guy. You know, he's been in some relatively competitive fights with a lot of guys. To me, again, this is Almeida getting more comfortable and getting better. He didn't look bad in the contender series, but he knew Dana White standing right there and will not give you a contract unless you go for it. So he went for it. Didn't work in that spot, but you can see that there's something to work with. And that fight with Trezano, to me, anyways, it looked like, okay, he's getting way more comfortable. He's tying it together. His cardio checked out in there where he was just continuously allowed to push that kind of pace. And again, the guy's very, very heavy-handed. Now, Zubair Tehugov could beat this guy, of course. Here's the thing with Tehugov. Do not trust Zubair Tuhugov. He's a guy with a ton of ton of promise. Doesn't put it together. First of all, criminally low on the on the striking numbers. Him versus Douglas D'Andrade, he landed thirty five over fifteen. Mm-hmm. Him versus Felipe Nova, twenty one over the course of fifteen. Him versus Hanato Moicano, twenty nine over fifteen. Him versus Laron Murphy, twenty two over the course of fifteen. Him versus Hakeem Dewadu, thirty five over fifteen. Yeah, he looked better against Ricardo Ramos his last time out, but he's a, just a very low-volume guy. And as a result, his fight with Nover was a split decision. His fight with Moicano was a split decision. His fight with Lerone Murphy was a split decision. His fight with Hakeem Duwadi was a split decision. He's had four split decisions. Three of them he'd come out on the losing end of. And I had a greasy theory. Zougov is Khabib's boy, and they're in Abu Dhabi. And he's going to get the decision in a close fight. No, he was in Abu Dhabi against Hakeem Duwadu, and it was a close fight. But he didn't do shit, and the judges recognized that, and they did not give him the split decision win. He, in fact, lost the split decision. So as much as the guy's got a lot of talent, I think he could go out there and secure takedowns over Almeida and really make him pay. Part of me is worried that he's just going to let the volume kind of get behind him. If it was to Hugov plus money, uh, I think I would be, you know, 
I would get like goaded into maybe being like, oh, well, the takedowns and maybe the kid's been improving and super talented. Maybe he's finally going to put it all together. And, you know, we finally did throw a little more volume in his last fight with Ramos. I could be tricked into it. But that slight money on Lucas Almeida, I think, has got me tempted that just keep the fight standing and outwork him, man. That is the move. And I think Almeida is capable of doing it. So, like, really slight underdog lean towards Lucas Almeida. And I'm going to join you on that slight underdog lean. But I could, I, it's possible that I change that after watching Almeida's fights back. But, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't lining enough to to bet Tehugov, yeah. As for all the same reasons that you said that the volume is just super super low with him. I'm not like he wrestles with those guys, but I don't really consider him like on the level with like you know the best coming out of like Habib and and his gym and all of that. He's Chechen, not Dagestani. I don't think he grew up with like the same wrestling pedigree and around the same wrestlers as like, you know, a Makachev or a cousin Umar or anything like that. So he's a solid all around fighter. He's taken on some really, you know, good opponents, Lerone Murphy and, um, and, you know, Dewadu and so on and so forth. But yeah, not a guy I'm very, very high on. So I'll, I'll ever so slightly lean to the underdog with you on Lucas Almeida. Moving on down, we got Abubakar Nurmagomedov taking on Gadzi Omargadziev. Minus 165, Abubakar. Plus 145, Gadzi. Is this fight at 170? Yeah, they believe it's a 170. Which I believe is Gadzi's first time there. And honestly... This is a, I think this fight is wrong fighter favored. What has Abubakar done besides have the Nurmagomedov name in the UFC to really to, to justify having this price? Jared Gooden was only able to take him down once. It was a very, very tepid, close striking affair between the two of them um, for 15 minutes. And then the ultimate stunt coming in there with the Nurmagomedov name against David Zawadu or David Zawada in your UFC debut and then just what it was a uh an armbar um I believe it was an armbar wait off a triangle choke sorry I watched it I just can't really recall the exact transition either way it was like an insta tap as soon as they got down there I've always kind of called Abubakar bad Nermi like I think he's like the guy who's like there to help the guys get through their training camps, you know, put in some work with them. He'll pick up some skills, but like he's never really been the most skilled guy. His his entries to his takedowns, like they could be effective. It could work. You know, a lot of people are going to look at like Gadzi getting taken down by Kyle Barallo and, and, you know, glean off of that. And maybe that's why they're going with it. But it's like, as we've already said, it's like we actually think that, Kyle Barallo's pretty solid. The fact that this is down at 170 on top of it, like I had, I didn't even know that. I didn't really put two and two together on that, but um, I had already added Gadzi Omergadziev um, plus 150 on the money line. And honestly, like if you watch his contender series fight, obviously that's a super, super low level of competition, but like he's pretty slick with his submissions as well. And you know, Barallo had him on the ground tons of times, and his submission defense was pretty solid. There's 9-1 to one on Gadzis by submission available out there. It's like if David Zawada was able to do it, I wouldn't be stunned for Gadzi to be able to pull it off. So, yeah, Gadzi money line, Gadzi plus 900. Um, if Habib is in the corner of Abubakar, 
I would say that the O has got to go, and this will be the first time Habib will be in a corner and one of his fighters will lose. Hot take or not? Who do you got here? Yeah, Super Live. If you look at Khabib and his three fighting family members, they combine for an astonishing 75 3 and 1 record. Like, unreal, right? Khabib's got 29 and 0. And Umar is 15 and 0. And Uzman, Nurmagomedov, is 15 and 0. <clears throat> and Abubakar actually counts for all the losses in the draw. <laughs> He's 16 3 and 1, which is a dope record. But uh, yeah, when you're talking about the Nurmagomedov legacy, Khabib's 29-0, right? Umar Nurmagomedov, Uzman Nurmagomedov, both 15-0. They both seem to have a whole lot of promise. Abubakar, yeah, not quite in the same boat. When he fought for PFL, World Series of Fighting, I didn't think he was all that good. His wrestling's not all that good. His striking's not all that good. He clearly isn't at that level, but he's getting in world-class rounds with world-class guys, and, you know, surely he's going to be effective in some ways. But, yeah, I think he's waiting to get caught by somebody. If you can stuff the takedowns, keep it standing, he's there to get hit. The thing with Omar Gazia, first of all, I, I got to see him at 170 pounds. I'd like to see him make weight, see how he makes the weight. The other thing is like, he had no answer to Kyle Barahao taking him down and holding him down. In fact, that fight was a uh, third-round technical decision because Barahao murdered him with an illegal knee, lost a point, and still it won the fight. It was super illegal. He, it was so illegal. But, like, but the, fight, guys, the writing was already on the wall. It's like Barahao didn't, didn't need to need do to that. Do he, yeah, he... Absolutely controlled him. But, like, Kyle's good at that. He's incredibly talented at that slow-paced, hold-you-and-win-position type of style of fight. Yeah, this is true. And then, like I said, I'm picking him on the card. I think he's one of the better value guys, even though he's minus 200, because I'm very high at what he does, and I think he's got excellent ring IQ, despite the illegal knee to a downed opponent. The guy's a very smart, calculated guy. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, yeah, which I don't know with Abubakar. Listen, they're both probably most comfortable grappling. I would say that Omar Gaziev has a better stand-up game, but uh, for 15 minutes, I'm not entirely sure. And with Abubakar... I don't know. He outstruck Jared Gooden on one hand. It's like Gooden's got big power. He mined his P's and Q's in that fight. He played a smart game plan. I just keep going back to like the David Zawada fight. He's a master, huge favorite in his UFC debut and gives up a bum triangle choke, right? Like, I don't know that he's the complete package. I think he is a little bit fraudulent and he's going to get caught from somebody. But Godzi Omar Godzia, not exactly, not exactly a world beater. I mean, he could potentially lay an egg himself. So I wouldn't want a whole lot of investment on this one, but I think as of right now i think i'm leaning towards ormagaziev like you're saying coming down from 85 to 170 he should have that strength advantage that in itself should be enough to hopefully keep his fight standing and if he can keep his fight standing i don't know that his volume is all that good but i think that he's got the power to, to clip him get his respect make something happen it's a dog or pass situation maybe it'd be wise to just pass altogether. but if you want to ride with another underdog We'll go Omar Gazi. I'm already on the underdog, Cody, and I've got him by. There's actually plus 1050s out there for some people with sports books. You know, with if you have books, multiple different options, which is always the best thing for you to do. Um, there's plus 1050s on Gadzi by submission, which is not crazy. Like it's it's possible. Um, I think like that, that Nurmagomedov name is really like keeping the the number down on a lot of that. But uh, on prize picks, you know, Bubakar's got like a the takedown. Number set at 1.5. Don't mind that. Prefer less than 80.5 in his fantasy score. I mean, if it if it plays out like the Gooden fight, it's like he didn't get anywhere close to that number with the decision win over Jared Gooden. Um, you know, one takedown, 60 significant strikes. It's just like it's 
way, way under. Um, yeah, based on like his skill set and what Godsey's able to do to combat that, I really struggle unless he's pulling off like a first round finish, which I haven't really seen anything from Godsey to lead me to believe that he's like chinny or something like that. I really don't see how Abubakar gets over 80 significant, uh, or sorry, 80 fan uh, on the fantasy score there. So quite enjoy that. I could see him that, getting that's two, a good angle. I could see him getting like to two takedowns and those two takedowns being like generally meaningless. But, like, actually taking him down, holding him down, controlling, getting submissions, it's like, I don't think it's going to be um, – yeah, I don't think he's going to be able to dominate those those exchanges. He may have, like, the more, you know, classic technical striking, but, like, Godzi throws some, like, wild stuff at you. And um, it's kind of like, you know, you know, straight jabs versus some looping shots, I suppose. But um, – the more damaging strikes should be coming from Godzi, in my opinion. But yeah, Bubakar, it's just like, yeah, 80 fantasy score. I just think that's way, way too high for him. Like, he's not just going to, like, take Godzi down at will and just control him and dominate him pillar to post in this fight. And that's what he would have to do if he wanted a decision to get over 80 points. Well, yeah, even to win all three rounds with takedowns, you still need the ground and pound. You still need the submission attempts. And I just don't know if he's going to come to that. But, yeah. I mean, keep in mind, dude, Jim Miller has got Dan right? Clay Guida has Jason Guida. Antonino Shevchenko has Valentino Shevchenko. Sergio Pettis has Anthony Holman. Oh, I had to think about that one for a second. Woof. Uh, yeah, in this case, uh, the Nermogamados, they got a Bubakar. So is he, is he getting that, that favorite status because of the name? Maybe. Maybe it's a good chance to just catch an underdog for the simple fact that uh, the popular pick has gone the other way. All right, we got Armin Petrosian taking on AJ Dobson. Petrosian is a minus 190 favorite. Dobson can be had for plus 165. Who you got here, Cody? Yeah, I got to go with Armin Petrosian here big time. Uh, I'm high on this guy. I like what he brings to the table. I mean, he's a guy that's coming over from a purely kickboxing background. When he came onto the Contender Series, it was like pure striking, no ground game, taking on this big old thick bug Bulgarian boy who was quite the opposite. He only had wrestling, had no striking. And uh, yeah, you see him give up multiple takedowns in the first round, three takedowns, but his get-up game is pretty solid. And as soon as he does get up, he's nasty, man. He's got big rangy kicks, puts power into all of them. He'll destroy your lead leg. But beyond that, he gets you thinking low and he goes up top. And so, sure enough, he knocks out Kolev, gets the contract, comes into the UFC, gets Gregory Rodriguez, me and you make a shoey bet on it. <clears throat> you like Gregor Rodriguez because he does have that BJJ base. He was a former world champion, although you don't see him use his grappling a whole lot. It's like, yeah, the grapple is probably going to get the striker down. Now, you could have won that fight. The judges could have gave it the other way. But I agreed with how they gave it to Petrosian because like, he did get taken down. And he got back up every single time. He brought a pace every single time. He got his nose shattered with a head kick, hit the deck, gave up his back, pounced back up, and went right back. Volume striker. Tough as nails, durable, going to make you fight for 15 minutes. Like it. Then he gets Kyle off. Kyle's kind of my guy. And even though I thought this would be a lot dicier, I went with Kyle. Yeah, his get-up game didn't look too good there. Now, did it, right? He wasn't able to use that high-end striking because he was getting grounded continuously. And all that was just kind of troublesome if he's going to break into that upper echelon. Now, he's still young. He's still green. He very much is a kickboxer. No doubt he'll add those other skills to his repertoire and hopefully become effective. Meanwhile, with AJ Dobson, Dobson is very green in himself. I mean, he comes from like a powerlifting background in Ohio, very strong, very physical. But in terms of what he brings to the UFC, it's mostly just, 
you know, that, that big striking, that big power early. It looks like he tends to fade on the contender series. He got the first round submission victory. So you didn't get to see it there, but uh, he's wild. He's reckless. He's not going to be able to fight a full 15 minutes with that kind of pace. And he doesn't have the experience to draw back on. They need to take an AJ Dobson and they need to bring him along slowly. Let him fight two or three guys that come off the contender, that come off a low regional scene, let the guy get comfortable in his own skin, and maybe he could turn out to be a decent enough prospect. But they gave him J- Jacob Malkoon. He gave up six takedowns. He got, you know, controlled pretty hard in that fight. And against Armin Petrosian, what is he going to do? Is he going to all of a sudden be the takedown guy? He's not shown us that. He's strong, sure, but it's not going to be enough. I think he could get takedowns over Petrosian. Petrosian pops right back up. In terms of the striking, he may have a slight power advantage over Petrosian, but one... I seen Petrosian get a shin, bounced off his face, hit the deck, and was completely fine. His nose is broken. His mouth is filling up with blood. He's got Robocop on the back of him. And he was just like, oh, time to get up and kick some ass. I like the guy's chin. I think if Dobson clips him, he stays upright. But over the course of 15 minutes, I know Petrosian can bring the pace. I know he can bring the pressure. I know he can bring the volume. And I feel like Dobson's carrying around too much straight power, too much, you know, quick, uh, fast twitch reflex muscle. And he's going to tire down with that kind of pace over the stretch of 15 minutes or less if he succumbs to it and gets TKO'd somewhere in the second or the third. But uh, I got to go with Petrosian to get the job done here. Yeah, totally, total agreement coming from this side of the desk. Um, yeah, Dobson over the course of 15 minutes. I think, yeah, he could have a little bit of success early in the fight. He's very athletic. Hits very, very hard, but it's like... And I thought he looked very... He very, very much looked improved against Malkoon last time out. Um, especially early in the fight, before he was getting taken down. Like, he was he was having some success in round one there. But, like, if you go back and watch the uh, the Contender Series fight against... Uh, forgive me for pronouncing this wrong, but Arkega. Is that how you pronounce it? Hashem Arkega. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um, you pronounce it ten times, it'd be different every time. Of course. Like, that was, it was like, you know, wacky inflatable arms, man. Like, the guy was just throwing caution to the, now maybe partially that's because he's on Contender Series. You're on a show where it's like, unless you're getting finishes, you're not, you know, unless you're getting finishes, you're typically, you know, maybe not so much these days, they kind of just hire everybody, but like, back then, um, if you don't get a finish, you weren't getting a job in the UFC, so that probably factors into it a little bit, but like, it was super, super sloppy, so I was kind of surprised when he took on Jacob Malkoon in the follow-up fight, that's like, I thought, at least in round one, he looked a lot more composed, looked like a lot, like he had a lot more potential, um, but now he's taking a massive step up against somebody, like, Malkoon is a great wrestler, we talk about him all the time. We talk about, you know, great wrestling, can't finish a sandwich. I mean, he proved that against Nick Maximov where he had a guy, a wounded animal, in front of him for 10 minutes. Like, you know, Maximov's leg was toast after round one. And Malkoon still couldn't finish him, which is just glorious. The guy's just like, Malkoon by decision is the gift that keeps on giving. Gotta love that guy. Um... But yeah, Petrosian, I think on the feet is going to cause so many problems for him. I'm not too concerned about AJ Dobson when I already think that he has a bit of a cardio issue. I'm not too concerned about him coming out here and spamming takedowns. Maybe he can spam a couple takedowns in round one. So can he do that in rounds two and three and steal rounds two and three? I don't think he has the gas tank to to continue with that type of style. So I think Petrosian is a rightful favorite. I think Petrosian... 
Um, probably gets him out of there um, after a little bit of, you know, maybe maybe rides the struggle bus a little bit early in the fight because Dobson is dangerous early. But, yeah, Armin Petrosian for me and you. We move on down to the biggest favorite on the car. we got Muhammad Makayev taking on Malcolm Gordon. Minus 1,200 for the, what, 21, 22-year-old superstar um, in Makayev. And uh, Gordon is plus 800. I mean, Gordon, his, what, his major skill set is supposed to be his grappling, but it's like that's not probably going to work out all that well against this kid. This kid's super, super, He's you know, sky's the limit in terms of his overall skill set. Um, obviously against Charles Johnson last time out, got like 12 takedowns, wasn't able to get the finish, but like I think that was really, really good for his development. I wasn't so high on him coming uh, from Brave uh, CF. I saw some holes in his game, but it's like as this kid gets more developed, gets more time in there, he's only going to get better every single fight. So it's like I'm not stepping in front of him with someone like Malcolm Gordon, who like we have said many times on this show, this guy's got severe, severe durability issues. I haven't seen so much power out of the hands of Makayev, so um, what I do like, uh, a way to attack this on, uh, on prize picks um, Makayev takedowns is two. So it's just like, if you think that all we need is, uh, Malcolm Gordon to just survive a little bit, like Charles Johnson was able to survive a little bit. It's like, you know, Makayev is going to be spamming takedowns early and often if that chin can hold up. Maybe Malcolm Gordon can, uh, you know, fight long enough to allow this to go over. Obviously last time out 12 takedowns. Didn't you would have cashed this in round one against uh, Charles Johnson? Frankly, actually, we did have him and uh, D1 Dia Casey together as a uh, as a play, and that was like the easiest prize picks cash that I think we've ever had. But uh, Makayev over two takedowns, I think that's a nice little angle on prize picks. As for betting this actual fight, like I, you know me, like what are you what are you supposed to do with a minus twelve hundred? How does he find the finish here? I hadn't even looked at the props because this, I mean, minus 230 inside the distance. Submission plus 130, TKO plus. I mean, if I was, if I were to bet anything, it would probably be he finds that chin, the chin that we've seen be issues for Malcolm Gordon and, and there's plus 260s, plus 280s out there. Um, Makayev wins by TKO. I think Makayev wins. I don't know how I'm going to bet it though because it's just, such a wide line. Uh, who you got? Yeah, I, I got to go in the same boat here. Uh, I'm not the biggest Mokayev guy, but the thing with these guys that you watch, they're really young, and you watch regional show tape, and it's like, ah, eh, there's holes in the game. It's like, yeah, you better capitalize on them holes right now because the next fight, they're going to be getting better and better. You know, Song Yudong, he's 23. You see remarkable improvements fight to fight, but he's a prospect people like. Let's talk about a prospect people don't like. What about a Chase Hooper, right? Everybody writes him off because he's a bum. Man, he's so young. This Raul Rosa kid from the Contender Series, he's 17 and a half years old. What's he going to look like at 23? What's he going to look like at 25? What's he going to look like at 28? There's going to be improvements, right? So Makayev, I feel like the best time to catch him was probably early before this kid really starts getting comfortable. He's training at a high level. He's getting those rounds in. Of course, he was a wrestling champion from Dagestan, but over in the UK. You know, he's able to beat those guys, sure. But similar to a Chamayev going to Sweden and continuing his wrestling career there, you're still wrestling, you know, high-level guys with the country has to offer. And then beyond that, you go to these international tournaments. I feel like the kids got solid wrestling. 
His submission game, pretty okay. His striking, it's uh, old-school combat Sambo. Like his chin's a little high up in the air, and he'll wing some overhand shots. But again, he's making everything work for himself. The Cody Durden fight, who would have think that he was going to smash him in the flying knee right out the gate? That did lead to the guillotine choke, but again, it was the knee. A lot of his fights, I mean, you see him prefer the, the grappling, prefer the submission, but I think his striking is a work in progress, and I think it should work here against Malcolm Gordon. Now, Malcolm Gordon was known for his striking. He's a Team Tompkins guy. He's with Sam Stout and Mark Holman and Chris Wardecki. The guy's a striking machine. Wins his first six, five or six career fights. And then he runs into Randy Turner, and he's a huge favorite over Randy Turner on the Canadian regional scene. Turner was a military guy, like literally needed to go back to the army and just took a fight in between and knocks Malcolm Gordon out. Okay, fine. Happens to guys. The next fight against Austin Ryan, he got completely knocked out. His fight with Dimitri Waterberg, his lead leg got completely chewed off within two minutes and he couldn't walk on it. And then he got knocked out when he couldn't defend himself because he couldn't move his feet. Uh, his fight with Yoni Sherbatov, he is in the process of getting knocked out and then falls onto Yoni Sherbatov's back and takes him out. So again, you're seeing four examples of he can't take a punch. So when he came to the UFC, you and I load up on Amir Albazi. Albazi hurt him standing, but then choked him out with the triangle choke on the ground. Suma Derji knocks him out in 44 seconds. That chin's there for the taking. Now, Francisco Figueredo, not his brother, doesn't have that big power, kind of a bust. And then the Dennis Bondar kid, Big time ballooned up record. And beyond that, Dennis Bondar broke his arm, like, I don't know, minute into the fight, tried to post on it, and it's like fell over. And then uh, Malcolm Gordon's able to take care, take care of business. Winning two fights in the UFC, that's sweet. Malcolm Gordon's overachieving at this point. He's done an excellent job of winning a couple fights. They booked him to take on Alan Asimeno. That's a bad fight for him. But Alan Asimeno, uh, sorry, Malcolm Gordon pulls out of the fight. And then what does the UFC do? No favors. They rebook him two months later against Makayev. So, I feel like they know what they want to do with this kid. He's extremely uh, marketable. The UFC lost Habib Nurmagomedov. Now we got a kid here that wears the same hat and has the same style, and he's young, and he's promising, and he's undefeated, and he's all those things that they want to market. Plus, he lives in England, and he speaks great English. He's a good-looking kid. The UFC knows what they're going to do here. They need to match him up with the very proper fights. They need matchups that are going to get him highlight reel finishes, matchups that can help build this kid up. The same way that they can build up Sean O'Malley, and have him as less than a 3-1 to favorite against Peter Yan because you draw out that narrative to do the same thing with Makayev. They know what they're doing here. I think he gets the job done. Like you're saying, minus 1,100, minus 1,200. There's no more meat on the bones. you got to try to say, well, do I think it's by decision? Personally, I don't. By submission, you can see that. But, I mean, Malcolm Gordon's a BJJ black belt under, under George Brito's. So there's no slouch. Mm-hmm. I would think take him down and just get drubbing on him. And you'll see a lot of these spots where guys cover up and then the ref's like, hey, man, cover up. You're just sitting in his guard. But it's that relentlessness, that's the ability to just keep the pressure, keep the pace. Gordon at some point turtles. The referee says, hey, man, defend yourself. He doesn't quite do it quick enough. Ref jumps in, TKO stoppage, maybe the first, maybe the second. I don't think it goes a whole lot longer than that. But uh, I will take McIver to get the job done. Yep. All right. And finally, we got uh, Carol Rosa taking on Lena Landsberg. Carl Rosa is a minus 335 favorite. Landsberg can be had for plus 275. I mean, this seems like a nice little bounce back spot, I suppose, for Carol Rosa, who went out there against Sarah McMahon last time out and couldn't deal with Mama Bear McMahon's, I mean, Olympic level wrestling. It's uh, the great equalizer. McMahon is, you know, old, long in the tooth. The striking has never really quite been there. But it's like if you can take somebody down and hold them down for extended periods of time, 
you will win MMA fights. Landsberg doesn't really have much pedigree, you know, outside of what taking down Macy Chase on twice. It's like usually she's on the opposite side, like, you know, she's on the losing side of the wrestling exchanges in most of her fights. You know, Yana Takunitsky was able to take her down five times. Rose has always obviously been, she's, we hadn't seen her like struggle, struggle against somebody with better wrestling like that before. Um, and she took on Sarah McMahon. I think she's a rifle favorite here. Minus 335 just doesn't get me very excited. There's so many spots on this card for me to try to, you know, get my money in and get my money in in plus EV situations or what I perceive to be plus EV situations. I I don't love it, but um, I think she should be able to secure takedowns if she wants to. Um, If it's just a stand-up affair, it's like, you know, she's able to... It's against Betch Coea, not exactly a pretty one, but it's like multiple times now. Lara Procopio, uh, Vanessa Mello, it's just like she is eclipsing 120, 170 significant strikes in 15 minutes. It's like I really don't see Landsberg capable of maintaining that type of pace. So unless Landsberg is a better wrestler than I'm giving her credit, like I really struggle to see how Landsberg gets the job done here. Um the last thing is, what is Rosa by decision? Probably pretty chalky still. We got Rosa by decision. It's basically straight pick them. I see some minus 110s out there. That's how I would, you know, improve your minus 335. Get it down to minus 110 by taking Carol Rosa by decision. Your thoughts? Yeah, basically the same thing. Like, I'm hesitant to hit Carl Rosa because I had a lot of faith in her against Mama Bear McMahon, who, again, another one of these fighters with kind of a quitter mentality. And I thought Rosa just so much volume and going to bring the pain. And yeah, she got taken down at will. Not a, not a great go. But the flip side to that is she still landed 26 significant strikes, getting taken down the entire fight. Whereas, like, Lena Landsberg also fought Sarah McMahon. She landed one significant strike over the course of 15 minutes. Like, there's levels to this. McMahon mm-hmm. cannot wrestle a girl. We all know that. Rosa did a better account of herself. She actually is a BJJ black belt stand-up wise. She has the superior volume, the superior striking. She's got a really good chin. And even in the McMahon fight, she had some success in the third round. Can capitalize on it, but, you know, at least it's someone that's going to continuously bring it. Lena Landsberg, meanwhile, is another case of the UFC just not really doing people favors. Here's a girl that is 40 years old, okay? She's on a two-fight losing streak. After she lost to McMahon, she took two full years off. Actually, longer than two full years. She took... 27 months off. They bring her back versus Peony Kianzad because, hey, let's establish who the best Swedish uh, woman fighter is, right? The best stand-up practitioner. She loses to Peony Kianzad. That's kind of writing on the wall. It's low volume, not great. You should just set her off to say farewell. At the very least, give her a nice winnable fight. And you give her Carl Rosa so she can go out as a three-and-a-half-to-one underdog in her last fight instead. Again, she's been very, very low volume for the majority of her career. You've already touched on that. Rosa, big volume, her low volume. You know, sometimes it really is as easy as that. Beyond that, it's like, well, what about the variables? Well, maybe she tries to take down Rosa. Do it with handed. Yeah, I just don't see that happening. I mean, she's a Swedish Muay Thai practitioner known as the elbow queen. Like, uh, she's not suddenly going to come in here and be Jordan Burroughs. Just not going to happen, right? <laughs> Could she get some success in maybe taking Rosa down once or twice? Sure. Rosa's going to get back up. Once she does get back up, 
It's going to put that pace on her. What about the clinch game? Lena Landsberg is decent in the clinch. Perhaps so. But Rosa, again, just going to continuously work the body, work the, work some short knees, work some short elbows, and kind of just slowly pull away. But beyond that, it's like, well, what if you get her respect? What if she just stings Rosa with a big shot? It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I'll tell you why that's not going to happen, right? Her wins in the UFC are Lucy Putalova by decision, Tanya Evinger by decision, Macy Chase on by decision, and Gina Mazzani by decision. That last one, I brought it up last for a very specific reason. Nobody beats Gina Mazzani by decision. Everybody smokes Gina Mazzani when they fight her. Shayna Young took two rounds to knock her out. Priscilla Cachuera, two rounds to knock her out. Julia Avila needed 22 seconds to knock her out. Macy Chase needed a minute 49 to knock her out. Sarah McMahon choked her in a minute 14. And Lena Lansbury went 15 minutes with her. Like, oh, man, she does not have fight-ending power. She doesn't have a submission game. She's 40 years old. She has low volume. Anything can happen. It's a fight, but like this is not set up for her to go through and win. Kel Rosa was slowly positioning herself into title contendership. Loses to McMahon, but that's more of a style clash than anything else. I think she'd be looking to get back on track, jump right back into the hunt. UFC knows she needs a soft back, bounce back opponent that's going to stand in front of her and throw some strikes. Lansbury's that girl, so I, I got to think uh, fade the underdog, go with Kel Rosa. Big favorite, yes, but as you mentioned, Rosa not really known for her finishing abilities. And if there's one thing with Lena Landsberg is like, <clears throat> she can still take a decent shot. You know, mm-hmm. she can still kind of be there to take those. The Penny Kanzad fight, it looked like she was hurt down the stretch. Penny was putting a decent pressure on her and she stuck with it the whole time. Yeah, she's 40, but she's got her pride still intact. And I know that if this is her last UFC fight, surely she's not going to go over there and try to roll over. So I think she gives it her best, comes up short, loses the decision, Cal Rosa. Yep. I actually just added Carol Rosa by decision to my card at minus 110. I got Gadzi Omergadziev at uh, plus 150 on the money line. And then I made some subprop stuff. Uh, I got that uh, concoction of uh, Yawn submission props, which comes out to plus 3266. Um, do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. But like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Yawn work in some takedowns here. And if it's on the mat, any extended period of time, a plus, plus 3266. Um, you know, I'm not going to kill myself if uh, if it doesn't happen. Uh, Kyle Barallo by submission, plus 400. I see plus 460s out there. I like that. Gadzi by submission. I see a plus 1050 out there. I'm already in at plus 900. Kind of like that as well. Um, uh, as always, at Paul Shag on Twitter, I will drop... All of my plays Saturday, I guess Saturday early morning probably is when I'm going to drop them. Maybe Friday night, but uh, yeah, that's what I got from a betting perspective on prize picks. The the looks that I still like, um, I think Carol Rosa fantasy score over 78.5. I expect her to land, like get back on track in terms of her volume here. 78 and a half seems like uh like she can eclipse that number. Uh Abubakar less than 80.5 fantasy score. Uh Kayo more than 80.5 fantasy score. Muhammad Makayev more than two takedowns. Obviously, that always relies on Malcolm Gordon's durability, which is, you know, wishful thinking. And Krylov less than 1.5 takedowns. Uh, Sterling, I liked it better at two and a half, but even two takedowns, like, I really don't think he's just going to be able to go out there and take down TJ Dillashaw, uh, at will. So those are kind of the prize picks plays that I'm mixing and matching this week. Cody, without further ado, hit him with the PRP. 
Hit him with the PRP. And right before that, I'm booking a couple of MMA fights, uh, one in Lethbridge, Alberta, one in Ontario, uh, Toronto, uh, November 17th. And anyways, I, got a, I got a list of free agents. Manager sends me over some guys. These guys are high-profile guys that come at a good price that, you know, can, they have passports. They can come over the border. And uh, you look at it, some good names, man. You got uh, Luigi Vendramini, Devontae Smith, and uh, boom, 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 Adriano Martins. That one's funny because... Holy shit, I can book the last guy to beat Islam Makachev. I can book the only guy that beat Islam Makachev for a relatively good price, too. And uh, looking at his record, he has not won a fight since. He's on like a seven-fight losing streak. So, yeah, dude, listen, everybody loves the Russian hype, no doubt about it. But Chucky Alves, he's cash plus money tickets for us before. Let's do it. Justin Gaethje took an inhumane amount of damage against Michael Chandler before he toppled over. He took, sorry, against Poirier. He took a huge amount of damage against Eddie Alvarez before he toppled over. Charles took him out in one dog. That's impressive. Yeah, I forgot. Charles Oliveira. Yeah. I forgot to mention that Charles is on my card as well, but like people get really triggered when, you know, I've got like prices that are like long gone at this point. People get really triggered when you, like it won't won't end up on like my Twitter posted card because it's just like, what good is me saying I have plus 285 on uh, Charles Oliveira? There's there's no good that can be done to anybody uh, by me posting that on Saturday morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why when I put up my posts on Twitter, like I take the odds as they are as I make the tweet, right? Yeah. I'm not saying all oh, this is shit you got on Monday. Well, dude, that top line, you could have got it for my plus yeah. 165. Let's say, nah, nah, nah. If you want to bet it and you're turning on Twitter right now and you don't have any plays set in and you're looking and that's what it is, that's what the market is right now. On a 13-fight card, we're going to need some dogs. Charles Oliveira, dog number two. TJ Dillashaw, dog number three. We're going to go with Peter Yan. We're going to go with Gamrot. We're going to go with Mino Fierro. We're going to go with Bilal Muhammad, dog number three. We're going to go Kale Barahau. We're going to go with Nikita Krylov. Lucas Almeida, dog number four. Gadzi Omar Gadziev, dog number five. Armand Petrosian, uh, Muhammad Makayev. And uh, Carol Rosa. So 500 dogs on a 13 fight card. Yeah, maybe it a little bit. And you guys know how these cards go. There's about generally five, 600 dogs seemingly coming through all the time. Hopefully we've got the, the right blend. Um, in terms of, yeah, there's some passes on there. If you want to keep your card a lot tighter, a lot shorter, feel free to do so. But yeah, lots of different spots that you could pick from. And of course, decent, decent props, decent uh, prize pick selections as well. So I think that there's a good way of tacking this. The main thing is it's an early start time card for a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So just don't get caught with your pants down and, uh, and miss some of the action. I love, I love afternoon UFC cards, especially good afternoon cards. Like the Abu Dhabi, that time shift is perfect. It's like what this card starts at what, like 10 a.m.? Amazing. Yeah. Roll yeah. out of bed, make breakfast, do a couple things. I mean, I guess you're waking up super early with the baby and all that. Just like I'm gonna be yeah. You can be half you can be half asleep for Carol Rosa versus Lena Landsberg. Like you don't need to be, you know, firing on all cylinders yet. And then no, yeah, like it still I... gives you a Friday night if you, you know, have any sort of social life and wanna go do things. Like, you know, the card's gonna be done by like in the early afternoon or you know, early evening at the very worst. I love it. I wish all the cards took place over there. Yeah, I agreed to work uh, this Friday Brave CF shift at Fight Network. So, like, I don't know, their card starts at 11.30. So, I got to get there an hour early, make sure my satellite transmission feed's coming in properly, and then I'll have Brave going, UFC going, be an afternoon of fights. And then, uh, and then yeah, you know what I mean? I got the day off. My, my wife will have to take care of the baby for the afternoon. 
Little Cody gets to watch a whole bunch of MMA fights. Hopefully, with a little bit of good luck, come home with a little extra bacon from some hot parlays mm-hmm. and uh, smooth things over between the fam. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. And again, like you said at the top of the show, it's like a meaningful pay-per-view for the first time in a while, which of course kind of always gives you that uh, that that big fight feel, that big fight vibe, right? A little extra excitement. Yeah, hopefully everything just holds together as the week goes along. Everyone makes weight. Everyone does everything that they're supposed to do. And we still have 13 fights on Saturday afternoon. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftig and producer Megan, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.